Welcome to Unraveling Midlife. I'm your host, Sarah Spence. Thanks for joining me as I explore my own astrological midlife by speaking with all sorts of inspiring people about their life and work. Although common understanding of midlife is a bit older, astrological midlife actually relates to Western astrology transits that run from the mid to late 30s to the mid 40s for everyone. Each of the main midlife transits have an overall theme, though details and timing vary by generation and of course by individual. Directly corresponds to the term midlife crisis, though I like to call it the midlife unravelling and my therapist tells me to consider it as enlightenment. If you're new to the show, welcome. At the end of the episode, I often share a track of my original music. Check out the show notes for any links mentioned during this episode, or links to some music. Empowerment through understanding your feelings and emotions is how Jonathan Spark describes his counselling and facilitation. He's a Pasha therapist and trainer a poet, and co-founder of the transformational festival NZ Spirit South Island that pioneered earlier this year, January 2023. He's been a podcast co-host on a show aimed at men called Unfuck Your Feelings, which had a great reception. Alongside Yasmin, his wife and business partner, he takes groups to travel in India with either a spiritual focus or, for something quite different, via motorbike. I met Jonathan at the festival he co-founded earlier this year and attended an excellent workshop that he and Yasmin facilitated on conscious relationship. A fascinating being to talk to, this is one of the longer conversations featured on Unraveling Midlife, but it's well worth the listen. Don't let that put you off because you do have Jonathan's poetry to look forward to later in the episode. Jonathan, welcome to Unraveling Midlife. It's great to have you here for your sharing. Thank you for having me, Sarah. It's great to be here with you. Yeah, so you do quite a few different things. Um, tell us about you, not necessarily what you do, but maybe a bit about who you are. Um, okay, so uh, I'm a 53-year-old man about to turn 54 sometime this year. Uh, who has spent nearly the last 30 years of his life in the world of personal and spiritual growth. And um, I sort of stepped into this quite young. And uh, I was very fortunate that I met my teacher when I was 23. And uh, that absolutely changed my life. In fact, I remember uh, a few years ago when it was very popular for people to talk about their awakening. They talked about you know, the moment they had the awakening. And I was talking to my wife about that one day going, when did I have my awakening? I don't even remember having an awakening. Am I still waiting for my awakening? And then suddenly it dawned on me, it happened when back in 1993, um, before there was such a term. And uh, and it was a massive shift because what it did was that that first and um, meeting, it gave me permission to do something I'd never been shown or taught before, which was gave me permission to start listening to myself. So what I now have is a, I feel a very privileged and humble life because I spend my days taking care of other people and supporting people in their journey uh, to, to back to themselves. Um, I'm a partial therapist, which is not necessarily a, a term that your listeners will have heard very often, but the partials were guides. 
that uh, my, my lineage, my, my spiritual and teaching lineage comes from ancient Persia. So I train under the Magi's and uh, the, the Magi's were the wise men. Uh, we know them predominantly through the biblical teachings, but they were, uh, they started their training very young around the age of 14. The, the very particularly apt ones might've started at 12, but they started their training as Pashas and some would then become Magi's. So there's kind of a, a way of understanding it is that um, all, all Magi's were Pashas, but not all Pashas were Magi's. And so as a Pasha therapist, I approach the work that I do and the life that I do from both the sense of guiding people towards their inner voice, their, their intuition and really listening to their feelings. And then the therapy part of it is around sometimes needing to take care of what has occurred in people's lives which is kind of interfering in or or needing taking care of in one way or another. Um, so it's a much more direct, accelerated and clear approach to supporting people in their lives. And so you work with 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 in with counseling and, and with therapy. Um, what else what else do you do with? Well, as I said, most of my my day is taken up working one on one, my youngest clients are like early teens my oldest is about 89 um i work with uh, a lot of couples i do a lot of men's work um have for years and um and it's kind of a mix nowadays between one-on-one -on -one people come to see me or doing it on zoom which works just as well um, because as i remind people that the work is actually taking place inside of them it's not it's not me it's it's them so my job is to help facilitate it but i also um I do a lot of work with businesses. So this morning I was working with a company that I work with. So I go into businesses and I help support the emotional and mental well-being of the staff and the teams. But what I also do is I, I help bring about a shift in the culture to help them see what really needs changing to support the business. And it's work I really love because I, I get to work with a whole range of people, including you know, real blue collar companies where guys are in the dirt and in the trenches and you know these, these guys who have you know done time inside or they've got past you know some pretty heavy issues and they respond and what's kind of cool is when you see a whole company begin to respond or a whole business respond because of the way they start caring for their staff and their team so that's part of it as well um as you and i know each other i'm one of the co-founders of the south island uh, nz spirit festival so there, Franco Hiki is a friend of mine and my wife's who um, we've known for, oh gosh, I don't know, a decade or more now. And uh, when Franco a few years ago reached out and said, I've been, people are asking me to come to the South Island. You're the only people I want to do with it. Are you up for it? And uh, I looked at my wife and at that stage, we were really shifting our journey. We'd, we were in the process, we'd sold our farm we had um we were beginning to look at uh selling i think at that stage we'd sold the cafe that i'd built and i'd also built a, a restaurant in christchurch um and franco invited this and we were like well franco we're kind of making our life a lot more peaceful but we said yes to it <laughs> um and of course you know we had the first one uh in january 2023 which was uh, amazing and it was such a such a pleasure and um, amazing thing to create so we're up for it again this year yeah um, but along yes yes we'll do it again um along the way of you know I've had a few businesses and uh nowadays though the main focus is is helping other businesses 
one-to-one -one counseling and therapy. Um, and my wife and I, we run Yasmin, that's Yasmin Clark. Uh, we run uh, retreats uh, all over the world. So we take people to different parts of the world, primarily India at the moment. That's where we've been called to a lot. So um, we're heading back in a few more months, which I'm looking forward to. Do you always go to the same place in India? Uh, no, we, we, we find our favourites and then um, we then expand into different places. So every trip we've done, I've got a business partner in India and uh, he helps with what we're doing. And every trip we do, we it goes deeper for us. So um, we do two sort of styles. There's a very sort of spiritually focused experience, which uh, takes people deep into the sacred heart of India. And we go to a lot of sacred sites. And because of who Yasmin is and her lineage um, and the connection she has to the gods and the goddesses that exist, um, particularly, you know, strong energies that are in India, these are, we have extraordinarily powerful experiences for our guests that, touches them in ways that perhaps we don't quite get to experience here in New Zealand. Um, India is a very spiritually sophisticated country. It's it's wild and crazy and mad and, and places filthy and, uh, you know, it's everything. It's chaos, but it's also beautiful. And that the Indian people are just, you know, beautiful. Um, and sure, you know, you get scammed and you get taken for a bad job and all the rest of it, but you, you learn how to navigate that. Um, so yeah, we we tend to like this next trip where uh, everyone gathers in Delhi. We head up to Rishikesh. Um, we go to Hardwar, which is a, a sacred city near Rishikesh. Um, there's a beautiful ashram of Ananda Ma, who is one of Yasmin's teachers. Um, Yasmin, her very close. Um, she's an amazing divine being who died at the end of last century. They've got an amazing ashram to her. Wasn't well, it the end of the and last century before that? And we go to Rishikesh, and we go. I think it was the century. No, no, she died that. in uh, no, no. It was nineteen ninety something. She was born. At, she was born at the beginning of the twentieth century. She died at near the end of it. So okay, yeah, um, just I yeah, had was, a teacher who had written a, about a her. Ours, clicking it in. Sorry. <laughs> right. Yeah, a, a good friend of ours. A good friend of ours. Mother was given her first meals by an under my ma. So our friend. Uh, yeah, she was like a grandmother to her. But anyway, uh, yeah, then we go a bit deeper into the Himalaya, into up, up the Marganga, uh, up to some uh, beautiful retreat. We've got friends going up there. And then we're coming back, um, back through Delhi. And then we go down to Varanasi, which, you know, is one of the most sacred cities, onto Bodhgaya, where Buddha reaches enlightenment. Um, and then we're sort of adding a few other places along the way uh, that the smaller out-of-the-way places in India um, before we return people to Delhi again. So, yeah, very much looking forward to it. And that the other thing we do when we're in India is, it is, yeah, we, we also run motorcycle tours. So ah. uh, we have a bit of a mix. Yeah. Oh, that's a bit of a point of difference. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a lot of fun. It's um, I'm very lucky. My wife jumps on the back with me and uh, we hit the dusty trails and in India and I'm a very happy man riding the roads of India. Wow I've been on some of the roads in India not driving them myself but um, yeah they're quite an experience. <laughs> what I love about them is that they they ask you to be deeply intuitive. You You have to flow. If you get into your head in any way on the roads in India you're in trouble. 
So we, we really tutor our guests, deepening their sense of being connected to the bike, being connected to the road and being connected to themselves. Because I've seen what happens to people when they become a bit frozen or they're a bit too heady about a situation. And um, India, I think, can, can teach us a great deal about what life can feel like free of regulations. I did actually cycle. I did some cycling in Tiruvannamalai, which is a small town, but it's got some very sacred sites there. And I was just just new to just go around that roundabout, um, ringing my bell like there was no tomorrow and everyone because <laughs> they could see I was a foreigner anyway. It was actually That's really fun. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's oh. like you can ride a motorbike without brakes, but you can't ride a motorbike without a horn. Yeah. That's so true. Oh, I'm totally um, enamored with, I've been to a couple of the places you mentioned, so I'm picturing them as I sit here going, oh, wow, that'd be cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a place that um, we both, Yasmin and I, are very at home at, and uh, we find uh, you know, ourselves very much um, being met in, in everything we do. New Zealand's pretty spiritually conservative, so Whenever we return, we return. We, you know, you really feel the sort of the old Methodist energy that holds us here, and um, and it's it's shifting and changing. You know, the festivals and the, the sort of consciousness that's growing here, but it still remains fairly fairly conservative. We we're reserved people, which um, you know has its qualities. We're we're humble in a sense, um, but it's you know, Yasmin and I just feel particularly at home in India. So, yeah. So you and Yasmin actually facilitated a great workshop at uh, at the festival in January. Um, can you speak a bit about that workshop and and like working together as a couple? Because you had quite a fascinating story. But thank you. Um, so we've been together 28, 28 years now and uh, married for twenty five. Um, one thing that I probably should qualify with this is that. As a partial therapist, we train other people in this work. And one of the sort of the golden tenets is only ever teach, guide, and support what you live in your own life. So nothing we do comes from theory. It doesn't come from kind of like grasping at other people's ideals. It's very much about really training people to understand that, that what they really need to know is truly inside of them. And as you build on that, your wisdom, knowledge, and experience grows to help support others. Um, one thing I see, I know I'm slightly going off an angle here but I see too often where people get inspired by their own healing journey and they get in touch with this feeling that says I've got to be something I've got to do something I've got to find purpose in my life and they mistake their own healing journey to be somehow the thing that's meant to help everyone else and you know I'm sounding like a grumpy old man but I'm you know 30 year veteran in this field I've watched a lot of trends come go a lot of a lot of ideals a lot of practices you know at the moment it's very fashionable they obviously the static dance the breath work all that stuff everyone's training in that stuff now previous it was other things that were named and fashionable so there's these things that wave through and they're good like don't get me wrong you know that stuff is amazing i love a good dance breath work is really just pranayama it's been around for five thousand years it's been given a different name bless wim hoff and his dear brother marcel who is a friend friend of mine and i i, I love him he's a great guy but we, what Yasmin and I bring and what we teach, you know, truly is drawn from um, quite a deep source. But it's also the fact that we're teaching it because we've got a good relationship. Like we've got a, we've got a really good relationship. And uh, and so, yeah, the, the workshop we ran there, which was just sort of an introduction, was really teaching you about what it is to have a conscious relationship. 
And a conscious relationship asks you to be really aware and open to how you feel. Um, so I will confess and say that Yasmin has been my teacher in that regard, <laughs> because, well, I'm nine years younger than her for a start. <clears throat> so I'm sometimes playing up, playing catch up. But she was the one who was born with the abilities. She was the one who was born um, highly attuned to what a lot of us are now discovering, which is this kind of other world which sits just beyond the, the veil. So her her deep sense of uh, intuitiveness. I remember I remember once in the early days we were we were driving along on the road, and me and my my kind of arrogance because I'd been a motorcycle and cycle crew in London, you know, I figured I knew, I knew how to be the compass. I knew how to be the map. And I said to her, oh, you need to turn left down here and, and head down this road. And she said to me, no, I don't. And I said, no, no, you do, you do. And she goes, no, no, I don't. I'm going to go this way. And then we're going around this way. And I, I found myself getting irritated because she wasn't you know, doing what I believed was right. And she could see me getting irritated. And she said to me, here it is, darling. I said, what is it? She goes, well, we can go your way and you can find out why I'm right. Or we can go my way and you'll never know. And in that moment, I got it. I got that what she was talking about was intuition. The ability and the willingness, not stubbornly, not stoically or defensively, to, to listen to ourselves and to trust the feeling without the logic of the mind being the thing that interrupts it. So our relationship has really been built on this, this continuing and deepening um, investment in the, the language of the feelings. And I often say to people that my wife is someone who I love deeply and she is the, the focus of my love, but she is not the source of my love, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And... And it means that I, I get to invest my love and energy into the relationship, which then feeds me in return. But I'm not looking for, I, when I say that, I used to look for it because that's what I thought a relationship was. You know, I do these things for you and you give something back to me. But as time has passed, I've begun to sense a, a very rich source of love that's available for us all that can allow us to then really give to a relationship. And when that happens, all sorts of things blossom. I guess that's the wisdom that comes with with time for, I guess, everyone, depending in, at a different stage of life for different people, I guess. But uh... Yeah, it's what I notice is that um, it depends on our willingness, you know, as a relationship therapist, it really depends on our willingness to be honest and admit to what, we're truly feeling what we're truly experiencing um but what many people get invested in and i i will confess this was me too we get invested in defending what we feel and as soon as that happens the wall goes up and this is something i work with a lot of men and and i notice a lot of the women i work with you know they they talk about how this is what they're up against all the time that they try to talk to their partner about how they're feeling and bang a defense comes up because for so many men we are not very conscious of how much we want to feel love and how much we want to receive that so we we 
kind of play these games. I'll provide for you. I'll do this for you. I'll tell you how to fix yourself and make life you know, better. And this is what you need to do. Thinking we're somehow being the man they want. But actually, what we're not really doing is opening ourselves to what we want to receive because that's vulnerable. And that's not something men are very good at. But what I've learned is that actually when we learn to do that, well, the good woman in our life just want to step in and be there. Yeah. I guess that, and, and I guess I'm thinking about my own experience. It's, it's similar in, in some ways. I, I mean, even though I'm not a man, I can still relate to some of those things, like actually having the clarity to, oh, I'm making an assumption or I've got an expectation about this other person to act in a certain way that I want them to act. Yeah. Very much so. It comes down to, doesn't it? Being human. It does. Yeah. And the giveaway is the tension. You know, the giveaway is the tightness. The giveaway is the the feeling that is actually getting in the way of the love. And unfortunately, you know, what happens for too many of us is that we've been so bruised by love that we that we can end up um, investing more in protecting ourselves than opening. And um, I remember one situation where I was having an argument with Yasmin over something, and um, I think I may have even told the story at the the talk we gave. And she was pointing out to me the stuff that she was unhappy about and what was going on, and I was feeling defensive and, and in my head about it. And I said to her rather self-righteously, you're always so angry at me, thinking I'd won some kind of point because I'd pointed out that she's always so angry at me. And she paused and she stopped and she looked at me and she said, I'm not angry, I'm hurting. And I saw in that moment how ridiculous it would sound to say, you're always so hurting at me. And it made me, I didn't do it straight away, I held tight to my you know, outrage and my self-important sense of what was wrong. But actually, I knew as soon as I heard that, I had to change. I had to change because my words were landing on her hurt. And that wasn't going to heal anything. What phase of your life were you when that happened? I would like to say that it was when I was really young, Sarah, really, really young. Um, when I think back now, it must have been in the, I, you know, I would have been in my maybe late 30s. Yeah, it's, it's beginning of astrological midlife. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I would, I remember hitting, a, getting close to 30 and going, oh, I think I'm growing up now. Is this what it means to be an adult? And yeah, I remember this shift and uh, taking responsibility. But yeah. yeah, there's been those periods, you know, where where I can look back and see there was distinctive markers that were inviting the, the op- opportunity, the openness to new change, to new energy. Yeah, so that Saturn return in the in the around twenty nine, and then yeah, late late thirties through to mid forties, where I'm kind of going, oh, I'm having this shake up, and just the amount of growth that I've noticed in myself, and I guess the last like seven or eight years is just incredible. But I mean, everyone grows. Over well, no, I'd counter that. I'd say everyone's invited to grow. Uh, yeah, that's a good point. Many, many people invest themselves in a form of stagnancy. 
where they are much more focused on their externals. And in doing that, they, um, they end up delaying their growth quite significantly. And as my teacher says, the, you know, the thing that's worse than our perception, worse than our perception of death is stagnancy. When you live a life where nothing grows. So growth is, is relationships. Growth is life. But yeah, there's a certain level of consciousness we have to get to where we actually say yes to the growth and, and actually we embrace it. And when that begins to happen, we get into a better flow and we start to realize that actually we don't have to resist and we don't have to fight and we can be open. But if we're too fixated on ideals, I often say this, Sarah, and I'm working with people, if you want to understand suffering, if you really want to understand suffering, then just look at where you are right now and then have a look at the ideals you've hold, held about who you think you should be or what a relationship should look like or how much money you should have by now or what your house is meant to be, right? And the distance between where you are right now and what you've idealized, well, you can basically equate is going to be your suffering. And I watch a lot of people get caught in this kind of mental entanglement over I'm not good enough based on this projection of an ideal. Yes, that sounds very familiar. <laughs> I feel like and I spiral and like, uh, I'm like, oh, here I am again being hard well, on myself. We have to. Sarah, that's the thing. We have to spiral. We have to, we, we create these cyclical patterns, okay? Now we create them, but we're also in a, a social structure that also enforces these cyclical patterns. And these cyclical patterns have to exist until we start to notice them and become aware of them. And the thing that brings us to that, and if we're not consciously growing, if we're not consciously investing in our own flow of change, we have to have experiences which bring us to our attention. And these are the midlife crisis points. These are the things which can feel the difficulties, the challenges, and, and the pain of life. But the purpose of them is to slow us down. The purpose of them, of them is to make us question. Now, when clients come to me and, and I notice that they're really battling with the whole what's the point question, I often have to remind to them, I have to remind them that actually it's one of the most important questions they can ask. But too often they're asking it at two o'clock in the morning out of desperation and out of hopelessness, but they're not actually asking the question. They're not actually considering the philosophical, contemplative, spiritual question. What is the point? Yeah, I'm finding that at about uh, yeah 5.30 a.m. when my alarm goes off in the middle of winter. <laughs> <laughs> Right. And it's a precious, beautiful question because it can really invite us to discover the deeper self, the deeper energy, the soul of who we are, who was excited about being here, who was looking forward to life again, who knew that this planet provides such a stunningly rich array of possibility to meet ourselves again and again and again in these cycles and patterns until we become truly conscious of the self that we are. I love doing these podcast interviews. I always get so inspired. <laughs> it's been that kind of flat week where every morning I'm like, really, do I have to work? <laughs> and then I get to come home from work and we were saying before we started the recording that it's it's been a full week, it's been a yep. full day, but we can sit and and get inspired by 
talking about these things. Thank you. Yeah, they they are the true stuff of life. And as I said earlier, I feel humbled and blessed that this is my work. Like this is this is my life. There is no separation between you know when I wake up in the morning and what I do during the day. It, it is just me being me, and I'm I'm one of the lucky people in the sense that when I when I walk into a business, I don't bring anything. It's just I just turn up. I might have a notebook. And that's only to look like I'm doing something. But it's <laughs> it's such a uh, a wonderful thing when when you 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 don't even have to prepare you don't even have to organize you because you you simply know that in the moment everything you need will be present in front of you because mm. it's not about me it's about them yeah and, and I mean you've got the years of experience to be at that position yeah yeah there's okay. there's that as well I I do remember when I was 25 and and my teacher and my teacher is a spiritual master called Raman Pasha some of your listeners may have heard of him he's an extraordinary extraordinary being who was the first the first place in time that I ever experienced love true love not the human conditional stuff but the true energy of love and um, he said to me when I was 25 he said I was you know he told me about what was possible what was inside of me what I could you know truly become my mental mind immediately was like oh what does that look like and it looked for a, it looked for a, a version it looked for something externally and the only person back in 1995 that I could imagine was someone like Tony Robbins so I, I set this uh, this ideal unconsciously inside of me that that's who I was meant to be which was just what a torturous thing because I don't want to be him and but I'd taken my teacher's words and looked for the external version now, I said to him, how long is this going to take me to, to learn how to do this? And he said, well, for you, he said, you'll be quick. It'll take about five years. Which it took I'm me seven. Sure. Seemed like an eternity at the time, right? It did, indeed. But it took me seven because I tried too hard. I pushed it. I was looking for myself somewhere else. And it was a deeply humbling. And that probably lined up around that sort of sat return energy where my ego was shattered i had nothing left i had burnt myself out and i sat in front of my teacher and i said i'm done i've got nothing and he said how are you feeling i said i'm empty i'm completely empty and he said good now we can really begin see what i didn't realize when he talked about the five years which i stretched out to seven it wasn't about me learning to become something it was about me emptying out of everything i thought i was out because like you i was raised in a culture that told me i had to fill up yeah yep <laughs> and i had to know stuff and i had to become something and i still get clients every day you know who, who are looking for themselves I've, I've got to find my purpose i've got to be somebody i've got to i'm not enough because our social message is you've got to look like this you've got to get so many likes you've got to get so many listens you've got so many views you've you've got to have people interested in who you are you know we, we celebrate people who have climbed five mountains while they've given birth to twins and they've set up a new company recycling nappies you know we we celebrate that as success and it, and good on them brilliant people but is that really the model of success we all want to chase yeah, I started this podcast and decided not to look at the not to look at the numbers for a year. And I'm really glad I did that. And then I didn't even find the real numbers until it was over two years. And then I went, oh, oh, and I kind of, yeah, went, oh, okay, well, 
I'm not sure how I feel about those numbers and then I remember like it's if one person's inspired that's that's the important thing and, and I mean right. I think we can take all of them because I get inspired so there we go <laughs> well that's the thing Sarah is that we 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 do need to be careful how we measure it because we tend to do, we tend to measure in numbers rather than the richness of someone's experience. As you know, um, I've had a podcast with my um, dear friend Sam Mander um, called Unfuck Your Feelings, which was kind of developed out of um, supporting his fan base because he's the lead singer of a band called Dolphin Friendly. And uh, I said to Sam, I said, you know that the average length of podcasts is 13 episodes. He's like, oh, we'll do that, we'll do that. And I said, well, we'll see. We did 10 Okay. And it's we still good. They're yeah, good. It's great. Thank I you. I listened to some of them. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. We we really enjoyed doing them. Um and we promised each other we would this year let's sit down and keep doing because it, it was easy. We'd sit down and we'd just do it and be easy. We haven't touched it this year. We've both been so snowed under, both so busy with our, our different you know journeys. But and I've got no idea how much they listen to, but I get people telling me all the time they listen to them. And those 10 are now out there being of value to people. Mm. And one person, I had a farmer sitting here the other day and I said, oh, how'd you get to know me? He says, I've listened to your podcast. And I was like, wow, okay, cool. So we, we just don't know how it's going to reach. But if we're fixated on becoming the next big speaker at the next big event and you know that we don't turn up unless there's 200 people there, then we're really diminishing the difference we make to that one person. Mm. Yeah, I've had a couple of people come up to me at festivals and tell me that they've um, they've listened to my podcast, which has been really nice. Um, and someone once said that one of one of my songs made the biggest difference in choosing to go and take a trip and live in live overseas for some time. And that that, that was really nice. It's actually the that's, the music for my um my podcast now. <laughs> that's beautiful, Sarah. That's beautiful because. Yeah. We don't also always understand when we're actually being in service to those invisible forces of teachers and guides. We just need to make that, you know, we're, we're an utterly instrumental part in letting those energies connect. And we don't always know when that's happening. Mm. Mm. So the, the podcast, you had the 10 episodes. Um, mm -hmm. Can you just give us like a brief overview? Unfuck your feelings. Who is it? aimed at is it is it the farmers that that you, you're getting to come in for counseling oh, like it's interesting my my dear wife bless her when I told her the name would come up with she looked at me and cringed a little because she's um yeah she said well I wouldn't be calling it that but Sam was like nah no nah, that the fan base the people who follow dolphin friendly they're, they're gonna love it they're gonna love it and yeah it does it reaches people it's not yeah the title's not me you know I, I live a slightly more sacred life but it works because what it does it reaches out to people um and helps them realize that you know they don't have to be caught up in their feelings and emotions in the same the way they perhaps have so the the podcast uh, uh basically runs through different episodes it starts with kind of hitting rock bottom it talks about sam's story with his addictions and alcohol and the scene the music scene things that he struggled with and we kind of explore different areas of life and how your relationship with your feelings is instrumental in guiding your way through this probably the most popular and i think the best podcast was actually the one i think it's number eight where um we invite yasmin to join us and both sam and i you know this is the woman i love and live with and sleep with and spend all my days with 
And both of us are just sitting there just listening to her talk and being a bit mesmerized by the whole other layer she brings to the situation. So that's one um, that's worth listening to. And perhaps somebody you can have on your podcast one day as well. She's an exceptional soul. I've already been thinking that when you were telling me stories. I'm like, oh, it was such a shame because we did try and hook up a time with um, with the two of you, but it was it just got a bit, a bit tricky. So I reckon, yeah, definitely one-on-one with her. I'll put a link to that episode in the show notes so people can access it as well. It Thanks. was a really good one, yeah. Yeah, no, it's, um, thank you. Yeah, it was, it's pretty special to do that. And again, you know, I feel, I, I'm in a fairly unique position in life because, um, because of who my teacher is, because of who my wife is. And um, I feel like, as I said, I get to do the work that really matters. And I, I get to see the truth of people. They they bring to me what they don't bring to anyone else. And that's a, an extraordinarily humbling place to be. Mm. And, um, you know, I, I haven't had to advertise. I don't, nothing like that happens. It's, it's, it's all word of mouth in this game. How did you meet your teacher? Uh, that's an interesting story. So um, I, I was the kid at school who didn't really fit in and I actually got asked to leave school eventually. Um, I just, I was getting in trouble too often and being sent to the principal too many times. But basically I wasn't naughty. I was just, I couldn't understand why I should believe what I was being told because there was this deeper yearning to, be, to experience the truth. And uh, anyway, sent to the principal again. He said, you need to leave school. And uh, there's nothing here for you. And I was like, actually, you're right. There was nothing here for me. So he was he was doing a kindness. But what that set me off on was this journey. So that by the time I was 18, I'd left the country. So I got I had this was the probably one of the times I had the most clearest intuitive inspiration that I didn't know that's what it was at the time, but I just knew I had to go to the UK. And I sold everything. I worked two jobs. I I did everything I could um, to get enough money. And I got my ticket and I flew to the UK on a one-way ticket and I had 700 pounds, I think, by the time I converted it. And um, and it was the sort of the beginning and, and you know, my mum sort of inferred that I was somehow running away, but actually, no, I wasn't. I was, I was needing to go somewhere that I, no one knew me so I could find out who I was. So while I was over there, I started writing poetry and I started, um, which I'd always played around with a wee bit, and I started sort of questioning these deeper things and then I was introduced to yoga and meditation way before it was fashionable and uh and i and i started suddenly i had something tangible that made sense to these deeper yearnings these deeper questions inside of me and i had this wonderful yoga teacher um who was trained actually trained by Iyengar, and um and she was lovely she's an indian woman and then i had this other guy who was a yoga teacher who really sort of took me under his wing and started introducing me to a lot of other stuff went took me on a retreat in france but there was something about him that i just I was struggling with, but at the age of like 20, I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to, to, to acknowledge that feeling, but it was something that wasn't right. And I was, I was awkward about the way he was with all the different female students. But again, because he was so charismatic and he was helping me so much, and he was so invested in me. Anyway, around this time, I, I was a terrible son. I was absent. I'd bring my mum every three or four months, you know, but there was this period where my mum started to go and see someone and um, and for about a year and over this period of time, we got close and she was open to me and we were talking better and, and I felt like I was getting my mum back. And I sort of 
she told me about this person she was going to see and how, you know, you'd love them and they're amazing and they do this and they do that. And, I, and she was going to see this woman who was this ch channel for a spiritual teacher. And I was like, I don't know what a channel is. And well, you go see your clairvoyant friend. That's wonderful. But I'm enjoying our connection at least. But what I didn't know was that my mum was sharing my poetry with this person who was this channel for the spiritual teacher. But about 93, um, I was in a relationship at the time and I, we decided to come back to see if I wanted to come back to New Zealand or not. Came back for 10 weeks. And while I was here, my mum kept saying, you've got to meet this person. You've got to meet this parent person. I'm like, mum, I don't want to meet your old gray-haired clairvoyant friend. I'm not interested, you know. I was still pretty arrogant and, you know, thought of myself in different ways. And anyway, about five week, five days before I left, I finally relented and I said, okay, okay, I'll meet him. But I'm watching this television program. So, you know, I don't want to be interrupted. That. Oh, whenever she arrives. Well, anyway, I'm watching this TV program and this woman walks through the door of my mum's house. And I look up and I'm like, and do this double take because I'm like, shit, this, is, this isn't what I was thinking. This isn't who I was. And this really beautiful early woman in her early 30s walks in. And I'm just like, oh, Christ. And I had to completely reconfigure what I thought I was going to be <laughs> meeting. And I eventually pulled myself out of my little funk and I, we started talking. And we didn't stop talking for about three hours. And my mum was there, my sister was there, and a friend of this woman's was there. And they just watched us as this energy exploded. And at one point I turned to say something to my mother and then I turned back, this woman I was talking to had gone, disappeared, she'd gone to this trance, altered state of consciousness. She, she wasn't there. And then she rose her head and this man was talking to me. I'd never experienced channeling before. I'd never experienced anyone with this ability. And this man starts talking to me and he starts telling me about who I am and about my life and about why I feel the way I do, what I've come to do, these sorts of things. And I am utterly in a space of knowing I'm exactly where I'm meant to be. And I find myself, he just talks to me for about half an hour. He asked me two specific questions. And these questions were, I look back now, were, were trigger questions. They were instrumental. He said to me, so what is common sense? And I, without a blink, I said, I've never said those words before. I said, oh, it's what's common to all of my senses. And he went, Good, indeed. And then he said, and what is responsibility? And again, never had that question asked. I said, oh, it's my ability to respond. And he said, well done. And what I heard as he said that was, you have remembered. Mm. And I realized I was sitting in front of my teacher. And I found myself sitting at his feet. And the woman who had this extraordinary ability and gift, she returned and she's looking at me with her eyes of light and a smile on her face and I realized that I had a friend and that I was probably going to come back to New Zealand one day and I was on a high I was buzzing I was just like wow this is this is incredible and every fiber and cell in my body knew that I had been seen I had truly been seen and uh, I said look I'd love you to meet my partner I think you get on really well I'd love to meet your family and she's like okay, sure, but I'm leaving soon. So, you know, we arranged it for a couple of nights later. And so I was so excited telling my partner about this person. You're going to love her so much. She's amazing. Anyway, we arranged to have dinner. I turn up at her place and, and uh, it turns out to be probably what remains one of the most awkward evenings of my life. Because at that stage, what I didn't know, there were like 24 lifetimes tucked in between me and this woman, who is now my wife, Yasmin, obviously won't leave the listeners and you know, holding <laughs> too long. 
we we were in this the sands of Persia two and a half thousand years ago when my teacher Raman had his last incarnation where he was where he reached his enlightenment when he was one of the leading magis and pashas to Cyrus the Great and anyone knows um, history knows that Cyrus was an extraordinary king who held reign of over 36 nations stretched right across to India and um, and Yasmin was his apprentice he she she was raised under him and uh and i we we had this relationship it's another whole story which sound, will sound like a i don't know a soap opera but anyway <laughs> the point being is that this is how i met my teacher but what i didn't know was that i was also meeting my wife and uh, i went back to the uk and we wrote to each other this is before emails and that kind of stuff and i would wait for these letters and it would just bang i mean one time i got a letter and i was on a bus going back to east london and i just felt this love burn through my body and all I wanted to do is stand up on the bus and tell everyone we just need to love each other that's all we need to do and I thought just sit here Jonathan just sit here don't do this you'll be thrown off the bus <laughs> but it was such a strong feeling so I eventually came back and I was thinking how do I be discreet how long do I wait before I catch up with this woman I lasted 24 hours and we started walking together and I said I'd like to help you with your work and she said I've been told that's what you're going to be doing anyway and we just started finding a way to support her and what I couldn't understand was that the people around her they they wanted what she had but no one was supporting her they wanted what she had to offer but no one was really there for her mm. and um for about six months this carried on but it was getting harder and harder and harder to pretend and then you know one day I leant across to her and I said I'm falling in love with you and uh yeah her relationship was well and truly on the rocks she'd actually tried to leave a number of times and you know it was at an end and um i'd been i tried to break up with my girlfriend a couple of times previous but you know been pulled back in because of the emotions and feelings etc and um yeah so basically we we yeah ended up doing a yoga retreat together and never moved out wow that's now, the irony of that story, Sarah, mm. is that my mother, who introduced us, was horrified, horrified that we got together, that her son would fall in love with a woman nine years older than him with three children. Yeah. Do you think it was the age or the children or, or the combination or the, the fact that it was her friend, I guess, or her connection? I love my mum. She's doesn't a really matter, does it? Yeah, she... <laughs> You know, this is North Canterbury, New Zealand, Rangiora. My mum was somebody in that town. She was the first ah. woman to be the president of a business association. You know, she she had she had a certain level of impact and influence. This was a wee bit of a scandal for a small town. Mm. Mm -hmm. So there was that at play. What my wife does is so far out of left field that most people don't even know how to contemplate it or comprehend it. So most people just write it off as ridiculous fake make-believe whatever they want to call it um like mm. 36 years later she's a pretty good actress so there was a lot of that in the mix um my mum and i have had some big heart to hearts about it and you know she shared that she saw what happened to my girlfriend at the time and that triggered what had happened to her after my dad had died and she got involved in a relationship with a guy who who kicked her to the curb for a younger woman so there was all this kind of layered pain you know my story is everyone else's story yeah 
Yeah. So it's um yeah that came up. Yeah, I so the rather long version of how did I meet my teacher? That's such a great story. I really appreciate you sharing it in the way that you did, like with such honesty. Um, yeah, the the, the channeling thing it's it's not really talked about in the mainstream very much or indeed like it's I mean even in the um, transformational festivals that we're involved in there isn't a lot of channeling mentioned I mean that was my first foray into spiritual life was going to um, a channeling course that I saw advertised in the Rainbow News back when when that was a, um, that magazine was a thing Rainbow News I remember yeah yeah, yeah. getting past life readings and stuff I and mean, I remember telling my dad and my dad it's, Maybe we should have right. allowed yeah. you to have more religious education. <laughs> yeah, Rainbow News is right. <laughs> it's up. an interesting thing. It's uh, so I was just going to say that ch the channeling that I see often people promoting is yeah. I mean, you know, I can see why people question it because there's different levels of channeling. There's different abilities. I, I don't have a lot to compare it against, but I have had many of the international guests um, tell us that they've never met anyone who does what Yasmin does. Um, and the thing that I find a bit fascinating are people who claim they can teach other people to do it. Yes. You can certainly access your higher self. You can certainly access your soul. That is part of what we're here to do. But this idea that people grasp that somehow being a channel is going to make their life somehow more magical, they have no idea the sacrifice. They have no idea what it takes and in truth well Raman described it once that for, for Yasmin to do what she does she has to be willing to walk to the edge of a cliff and I want you to think about this what it would take for our ego to do this she has to be willing to walk to the edge of a cliff turn around and fall over backwards without flinching and she does that three or four times a day wow so when people tell me that I'd like to learn how to channel, I'm like, really? I, I did a course. I did a, a day course. It was like how to learn how to channel part one. And I never did part two because I was like, you know, I, I don't want to be a direct voice channel. It's enough to me that I can tune in and start writing and get some inspiration, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. Like that's, that's the thing is like people, I think, make the mistake thinking that somehow that's going to give them something when actually they, they need themselves. They need themselves. The reason yes can do this is because two and a half thousand years ago, she learned under the teacher that they have such a profound loving relationship. Honestly, the, the love that exists between Raman and Yasmin is out of this world. It is extraordinary. I'm probably one of the few men who celebrates the fact that his wife has a deeper love with another being. And that, that kind of love doesn't happen in one lifetime. No, it takes an eon of of work. So yeah. And no, no disrespect or disregard to people who who seek it or want to do it, but just you know, don't be surprised if it doesn't quite meet your expectations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. I really need to talk to Yasmin. <laughs> yes, you yeah, you're, only getting, you're only getting the student here. Oh uh, yeah, but this is the this is the introduction, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 You mentioned um, earlier about the poetry uh, before we were talking, right? Yeah. And you worked it in already. I have, but I was going to give you one. 
Now, this one is directly connected to what we talked about with relationships, and it is more directed at men, okay? But I think it might be appreciated. It says, men, drop your defenses. What more is there to find behind these well-bolstered walls? You can only build ramparts so high before they block out all light. Men, drop your defenses. Become the paragon, even if you stand naked not knowing what to do. These walls built upon generations of stoic pride, barely serving their purpose. They no longer serve ours. Let them crumble, let them tumble. Why exhaust the one you love when those walls of deflection are walls of rejection, keeping you safely alone? You will not know what else to do, finally. So discover the raw uncharted land a heart exposed to love, rented free from shackles, dragged from another time, from others' words that stole your simple right to feel fantastic about yourself, free from fortification. Love wants you to remember, be available, so you can truly see her when she rises to stand naked in front of you, the only sanctuary we need. That poem came from realizing I had to spend time pulling down my own defenses, protecting my own vulnerability, believing that somehow my own stoicness, my own lack of need was making me a stronger man when all it was doing was wounding my wife. I was raised in the generation where to have feelings wasn't really something that was considered. When my father died at his funeral, and he was a good man. Big funeral, but about a thousand people there. And the only thing his brothers said to me, good North Canterbury farming men, the only thing they said to me was, good to see you being strong for your mother. It was six years later, Sarah, before I let myself cry. Oh. And I'd begun my journey of healing by that stage. And I was in the arms of another man in a workshop. And he asked me, why was I crying? And I said, I miss my dad. And as those words came out of my mouth, I heard a voice in the back of my head say, don't be such a pussy. The conditioning's real. The conditioning's real. So that poem is a tribute to all of us who have learned to build those defenses. And often it's come from the words of others because of the defenses they built. Mm. The modeling. Mm. Mm. So for all the women that are listening to this podcast who have men that they know get defensive quickly, try to remember we build walls because we think we have to protect something. But our investment goes in the walls rather than remembering what we were protecting. It's a quotable quote. <laughs> Many of these. Mm. So how... How do we, I mean, I'm going to link to um, to the podcast and I'd love to also link to your website because there is a poetry section on the website. Yeah. 
Yeah, you're welcome to. Um, so I've got two websites. One's more my corporate website, which, um, you know, allows people to feel a bit safer about who I am. Uh, and then there's the partial website, which will link people to what Yasmin does and, and their other side of our work as well. Um, my one's just under JSpark Consultancy. So you can link to that and find stuff there. We've got a YouTube channel called Yasmin and Jono. I think it's got all of about 87 subscribers. Um, but if you're interested in India, we I videoed um, did vlogs of our last trip up there, both the more spiritual focus trip and the motorcycle tour. Okay. So that's up um, uh, uh, YouTube as well. Um, so people can get that from there. Um, they want to know more about Raman, they can do it through the partial website. And on Spotify, there's some uploads of his talks as well. So they can find out and listen more from him there. Oh, great. Um, and are you on other social media? uh yeah facebook and instagram um i don't tend to put a lot up there at the moment but um but it's there you can find me under john spark on instagram that's where you find my poetry just under jo yeah john spark great great i know there's so there's so many different aspects of social media um i think my youtube account has uh even less subscribers than yours <laughs> I, put, I, I was like i'll put my podcast on and so i started making videos of the podcast and i got up to about five but i'm up to like 32 now and i'm like oh i think i need to pay someone and it like oh, fiver or something like that to, to get things I, I think i think sarah that again we've got to be careful that we don't get caught up in in you know how we think we're meant to make things grow and it, one thing Raman's taught me over and over again, it all comes down to energy and, and where our energy is really being pulled and directed. And so Yasmin and I are constantly kind of making that adjustment. And again, recently, you know, we made a big shift about four years ago, which meant, you know, selling the businesses and uh, which I loved, you know, we, we I built a, a restaurant within three months was the top restaurant in Christchurch and still is the top one of the top restaurants in Christchurch. But um but I don't, and I also, I will say too, talking about businesses, I, I also built one business that failed abysmally and that business probably taught me the most. Mm. But, but as you move with that change and you listen to your energy, you know, what do I really have energy for? It, it challenges the mind because the mind will have an idea and agenda. But when you really listen to what looks after your energy, you, you actually can learn how to fill that and connect to it that gives you the feeling of what you need to move further forward and it's sort of what the teaching we do teaches people in reverse like build your life from the inside out not the outside in too often people are looking for themselves in what they do and how it's meant to look and how people are going to respond and it falls over like mm. I can't tell you the amount of people I've met who've gone and done 200 hours of yoga teacher training, but they've never become a teacher. Because you've got to have the feeling inside that holds you through all those challenges when you're going to fall over and not believe in yourself. You've got to have that part of you there to draw from. Mm, and following what arises is, I kind of feel like it's this, if something sparkles, it's something to go for, like creating the podcast making putting it on yeah. youtube clearly was a little bit gray because it hasn't happened some job yeah. i get offered a day job and i go yeah that on paper that sounds ideal but that feels really dark gray for me <laughs> yeah yeah that's a good idea to to listen to where you feel you know that light 
is guiding you. We're, we're entering an extraordinary time now, an extraordinary time of consciousness. The light that's rolling in across this galaxy is phenomenal. And, you know, it's, you'll hear it more, more and more now, you know, that the light has already won. And it really has. I know that we can look at the world and feel distressed. I know that we can look at the world and feel like we're up against some of the darkest forces we, we've known. But actually, the light's already won. And we are truly held by a galactic federation, a galactic force of light that's saying, join us, become part of this all love, the all love, not the one love, the all love. And that is the light. So if any of the listeners are wondering, what does that mean to them? Just go put your face to the sun and notice how it makes you feel. Go and source a constant source sense of love. Right? Don't go looking for another people. That's the bonus. Maybe in a dog. That's pretty reliable. But actually, you know, really, really feel where that, that sparkle hits you. And remember to smile. Because as soon as we smile, we are accessing our love. Yeah. And it's much simpler, Sarah. It's so much simpler than we realize. Yeah. We're awfully good at complicating life oh that pesky mind i mean yeah i was told a couple of years before covid that the light's already won now we and then in the middle of covid all those lockdowns and all that i was like hang on i remember that i was told the light's already won i've just got to hang on to that because yeah, there was some pretty dark, dark times for a lot of us during That's the one yeah there were some dark times dark times i am proud to say that one of my poems got turned into a song that was sung on the steps of parliament oh congratulations mm. yeah you can find you can find that on spotify too uh, it's one of franco's song franco hiko turned into a song it's um called it's our time i yeah yeah i've heard that one yeah yeah so um so it's the thing with with the light is that like any space that has been kept in the dark as soon as we switch the light on, everything is showing up. So what's happened is that everyone is becoming more and more conscious. So there was an awakening that was surging across the globe that brought the level of awakening and different levels of consciousness to about, I think if I'm right, about 62 or 63%. I'm not great with figures, but it was around about that. COVID came in and all the fear that followed and all the messaging and all the control and all the lies that came and it shut people down. So people who were awakening became afraid and they bought into the narrative and they believed what they were being pummeled with through mainstream media. And an extraordinary time when you look back that you know you were criticized for researching. You know, just like you were considered an extremist because you questioned one of the most criminal pharmacological companies in the, in the world. And, um, and the great tragedy of us now, well, what's that wonderful expression? And, you know, those of you who chose to get the jab, I, I'm sorry, but, but no one, not one single person who said no to getting the jab regrets it now. Mm. All right. Because they listened to themselves. I have dear friends who felt coerced and forced and, you know, losing their jobs, losing all sorts of stuff. And now they're living with this feeling that inside says, I didn't want to ever do this. I also have heartbreaking. Friends. That, um, that felt that it was their soul contract, that that's what they needed to do for their soul learning, which was a really... No such thing. No such thing. Ah. 
Okay, there's no such thing. It's a mental justification of an ignorance of what actually is going on on soul level. I'm sorry, I know that sounds harsh, but I get tired of people justifying behaviors on soul contracts, right? It's a complete mental human version of things that we have this contract. No, it's not, it's not a thing. All right? We have free will. We have free will, but we're very poorly educated in how we actually manifest and work with our free will. So we find these rather convoluted ways. Yes, we have karma. Karma is the consequence of choices of other lifetimes, things we've done that have worked and haven't worked. But even then, we tend to have this kind of measure of um, this idealism of you know good karma, bad karma. It's not. It's just learning. Was I myself? Was I true to myself? I often joke about the fact that you know, a uh, hundred years ago, uh, about a couple, few lifetimes back for Yasmin, not, not too many, but a few, she had a couple of short ones. She was this extraordinary teacher in India. And we have been to where she was born. We have been to where she taught and we've been to where she died. And we have friends in India who remembered her from another lifetime and they, they are there supporting her now. And at the time that she was this extraordinary teacher, beautiful teacher, I was running contraband off the coast of Portugal and Spain. I was a drug runner. I run guns. I fell off the back of my boat called Isabella. She was a 36-foot sloop. I can still see her in my mind's eye. Twin mast thing. I fell off the back of her drinking my own contraband and drowned, right? Oh, oh dear. Right? Now, <laughs> here, I, here I am with this extraordinary spiritual being living an extraordinary spiritual life. But in that lifetime, I was still being myself and my soul. So we, I just share that story to help break down that very kind of structured idea of who we're meant to be and the soul contract thing. So if anyone's saying it was my soul contract to take a poison to the soul, a poison to the body, none of us, not one single being was born on this planet to suffer. Not one single child says it's my soul contract to be raped by my uncle. Okay, not one single person comes to this planet to believe that they are going to be abused. We come here to love. We come here to be in love. We come here to be ourselves, but we bump into the pain and the wounds and the darkness. And there's an element of control, which is a whole other conversation where Gaia is also known as the prison planet because our consciousness is, is kept down. We're kept away from our light. But no, I'm sorry. These friends of yours have been misinformed. No one made that agreement. What they're doing is justifying the part of them that felt afraid. And I've had people who claim to be spiritual. They were guided to take it. Now, this is a product that actually interferes with the pineal gland, with your ability to connect with your soul and spirit. Why would you make a soul contract to disconnect? Mm. It's definitely some food for thought there. I'm sorry if I sound a little impassioned about it, but I, I just I come across it too often. The meant to be's. Oh, if it's meant to be, that's another one, right? So you're definitely a proponent of free will. Oh, my God. Yeah. 100%. Like, learning how to direct our will gives us liberation. Right? It's, it's about becoming conscious 
of the consequences of our inner and outer world. It's about learning how to really become attuned to what is creating those choices. How do you see things like um, astrology? I mean, my teacher says, my astrology teacher says things aren't fated, but there are definite influences with transits. I mean, we've talked about some of them to do with the midlife. How do you see those? Okay, so I'm not the best person to talk about astrology, but um, I would encourage you to talk to my teacher one day because he, as a as a magi, they're trained in astrology. And one thing he's taught me though is that there are there's the human chart and then there's the soul chart, and the soul chart is connected to the date of your conception, not the date of your birth, but the date of your conception. And the soul chart even overlays the human chart again. So what he's shown me is that. We are part of everything. And so we are part of the stars. We're literally made of stardust. Like this avatar, this body, I sometimes see it as like an organic space suit that lets me be on Gaia. It lets me be a Gaian for a short period of time. It lets me breathe this atmosphere. It lets me be present in this world and has this extraordinary nervous system that lets me experience life, including pain and distress and unhappiness. And all of this gives me information to learn about myself, right? It's the only thing we have to get right. The only thing in this life, all your listeners can let yourself off the hook. The only thing you have to get right in this life is to be able to look back and ask yourself the simple question. How often was I truly myself? Now, everything else is just the template that we get to kind of discover and work with that on. So the blueprint of astrology helps give guidance. It helps gives, it helps kind of um, inform our nature. So I'm a scorpion. So there's elements in my, my nature which align with the scorpion uh, path. So there's things I have to learn to master in this lifetime that the, the, um, the zodiac star signs will help give me a template to learn through. No one is better than the other. It's just simply this is in this lifetime what I get a chance to do. Apparently, and I can only share this with you because I've been told it, is that every lifetime we roll to the next star sign. Oh, and I've heard something a little bit different. Next lifetime you go to your ascendant. Okay, right. Yeah. So but I said, I can only qualify that. If there's no such thing as time, qualify. which is your next life? I mean, <laughs> so many questions. But we'll come back to that, that, that one that you, that you said just before, how often was I truly myself? Yeah. Okay. Mm. That's what matters in the end. Okay. And it doesn't matter if you are working a corporate job. Okay. It doesn't matter if you're driving a bus. People will wait for that bus to arrive. They will let other buses pass to get on your bus if they feel that that person is present in their love. Mm. Right. It does not matter if you're sweeping the streets. If you are present in yourself, people will want to walk down your streets. There's, there's the, I was going to say, there's the challenge. I'm like, that is not the right energy. Well, there's the, the way of being. <laughs> yeah, it's the invitation. Truly. It's truly. the invitation just to, to be willing to do that. And the very simple question, am I being true to myself? Am I truly being myself? It, it invites us to, it invites us to reflect on the patterns the pathways, the ideals, the insecurities, the wounds, the trauma, all those things that end up creating a conditioned version of who we are. And, and the healing journey is the recovery of that. 
And the, the way we teach it is just simply through your willingness to listen to how you feel, not to become your feeling, to listen to your feelings. Mm, feelings. Mm. So much. We could talk all night. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us here on um, Unraveling Midlife. I was going to say joining me, joining us, joining the, the listeners, yeah. whoever you may be. Um, it's been a pleasure, yeah. Sarah, and I, I truly hope that um, sharing a little bit of my story, which, yeah, it is a little bit more unique, but it's nonetheless, I'm just a kid from North Canterbury who got kicked out of high school, Love who decided it. to keep listening to himself. Welcome to the music section of the show. This song, recorded live at New Zealand Spirit South Island, is called Awake My Dear. It's the title track of my 2015 album Awake, and was written combining three Sophie poems, one by Rumi and two by Hafiz, from my absolutely favourite, oh, I don't know, I have a few favourite poetry books, but this one was called Love Poems from God. So amazing. So many bookmarks. Thanks to Common Barks and Daniel Ladinsky for their permission to use their translations. Awake, my dear, be kind to your sleeping heart. Take it out into the vast field of light and let it breathe.
www.sarahmarlowspence.com Theme music is by Sarah Marlow Spence and Saraswati Marie Willis and art by Samantha Hepburn. <laughs>